When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Slendy. Hey, go. Slendy. Hey. Hit it up the park. Hit it up the park. Hit it with a strike. Hit it with a strike. From the national anthem. Anthem. To the bottom of the night. I'm in. Slendy. Hey, go. Slendy. Hey, go. Slendy. Hey, go. Slendy. What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 417 of the Talking Fires podcast and YouTube show. It is June 22nd, 2023. The Padres, they just knocked off the Giants 10 to nothing, able to get a good win at the end of this series, a series that has been a very disappointing series. Uh, This game today I don't think should overshadow or take away from the fact that they lost this series. I don't think we should look at this win and be like, all right, everything's fixed. I know I put that out on social media and Twitter and Instagram just, you know, kind of sarcastically up. Everything's fixed. Everything's fine. No, everything's not fixed. Everything's not fine. Uh, Starting pitching, I mean, Blake Snell, he is definitely fine. There are some elements of this team that are fine, but there's a lot of this team that is still not fine. Um, And I I think it all starts with obviously the offense and then continuing to underperform. So we'll get to that. Uh, I, on the previous episode, episode 416, I talked about the first two games of this series. So if you want my full reaction to those first two games, I recommend you go to that show. Um, And today I want to go over, today's game and yesterday's game and we can talk about the skip schumacher comments that he made i think it was yesterday on the dan lebertard show some interesting things there um 
there's there's still issues. There's still issues with this team. So plenty to talk about. Just waiting for some more people to come in. If you want to join the show and give your thoughts on the Padres, where they're at right now, anything San Diego sports, really, uh, as well, just click that link that is pinned up at the top of the chat. And if you want to make sure I get to your comment or your question, you can use that super chat button and I will make sure to get to it. Quick reminder, code talking friars for $20 off your seat geek order. Click that link that is pinned or not pinned. Click the link in my description, uh, breaking for some great San Diego sports swag, Padres wave Aztecs. And I'll tell you more about Gaglion bros and underdog fantasy as the show goes on. Uh, what's up, Devin, Raul, JD's third. See some people in the chat here. Uh, Devin talking about how Bomel was showing some fire yesterday. Horrible call by the umpire. Cannot get over it still. Yeah, we'll definitely talk about it. But I did want to hit on today's game. Look, again, it was a good win, um, a 10 nothing win. Like, you're obviously going to take it. But I was sitting there like, well, this is kind of just showing what this Padres team has been this year up, down, up, down, you know, not consistent. Um, they have a great game like this. And like I said, in my post game reaction showing what this Padres team should be, what this Padres team can be. I'm not saying that this Padres team can go win 10 to nothing every day, but I'm saying like this Padres team with the talent that they have, they can score a bunch of runs consistently. They can, should be, at least going into the year, should have been one of the better offenses in baseball. But that has not been the case. A lot of guys have had underwhelming seasons so far this season. And so, you know, three out of the four games they lose. And then they have a game where maybe some Padre fans are going to sit there and believe, oh my gosh, here we go, turn it around here. And that that's, that's probably couldn't be farther from the truth. Like, I just don't see this team turning it around. Um, even if they play well in this national series, am I going to sit here and say, like, this team has turned it around? If they win the national series, I'm going to sit here and say, well, look at the rest of the season. What has happened so far this season? That's a bigger sample size than the national series and today. Look what happened in the first few games of this giant series. Right. Like, don't don't, you know, a good series against the Nats. Let's not have that persuade us in, into thinking that the team is back. And oh, my gosh, here we go. We like it to be the case. But I feel like I've said that a bunch this year where they've had a good game or they played better baseball for like a week, you know, winning more games than they lose, having a winning homestand finally. And it's like, all right, maybe they can turn it around here. Let's see what they're going to do here in the next series. And in that next series, this comes up where they lose three out of four to a divisional opponent in a series that they should have won. Let's be honest. They should have won the series. Maybe they, maybe some might think that they should have swept this series and won all four games. I'll just leave it at they should have won the series. It took three out of four. I mean, game one of the series, right? Garcia stinks. Uh, Martinez, I think that was the Martinez, or was that? No, I think that was the day after. But Yastrzemski gives up, or uh, he hits the walk-off homer, right? They had a lead there. They had a lead the next night. Martinez gives up the meatball. Um, Josh Hader comes into the game. Base is loaded. 
walks a guy with the bases loaded. Like they had the lead in both of those games yesterday. If that stupid umpire call uh, and replay umpire call, I know the home plate umpire made the right call, but yesterday, if that call actually goes the Padres way, it's I think one nothing at that time instead of the Giants scoring three runs in that inning. Um, it's it's a different it could it could have been a different story, right? And the Padres they end up losing by two runs there. Two runs ended up scoring after that play. So not only was the runner safe there, so it was three, but two after that scored. And that ended up being the difference. So uh yeah. If things went better, if they came through with runners in scoring position, if uh, the bullpen was better in the first couple of games. Uh, the Padres, this series could have looked a lot different for the Padres. Um, so today, Bogey was not starting. By the way, I did see some people on social media thinking that Bogarts is hurt and they need to put him on the IL. And I don't see that happening. I think that he's actually been playing okay looking at the numbers. You know, just watching with my eye, it doesn't, my eyes, it doesn't seem like Bogarts has been playing that well, but he is hitting over 270, has an OPS over 700 since coming back June 9th in Colorado. I think it was in Colorado. Remember, he took those few days off to rest the wrist, and hopefully it was going to get better. Um, came back, and he's he's been doing okay. Not the Xander Bogarts that the Padres paid for, but he's been doing okay. He was doing better than what he was before he took a little bit of a break there. I still think he should have went on the injured list, but the Padres decided not to do that. They wanted to get him back before the 10 days. Um, he has not homered since May 23rd. May 23rd against the Nationals. That was a long time ago. So, yeah, the power's not there. He's still probably playing through it, but he's not going to use that as an excuse. He needs to be better. He's one of the, the guys that needs to be better. Uh, Manny, by the way, today, he has a homer. Sanchez is a homer. Uh, Manny, he's actually been doing better since he returned from the IL. He's hitting over 300. He has a hit in nine of his last 10 games. I think he has a five or six game hitting streak. He's been doing better. Now, he has made some poor decisions. Um, one definitely sticks out. I think it was yes yesterday, the, the poor base running decision. Uh, in the fourth where he tries to tag from second to third. I get it. There was an alternate camera angle that we didn't see at the time where the, there was no one covering third base. So he was like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to take this chance, but Crawford cut the ball off that allowed third baseman to get there. You're in scoring position. Anyway, there's two outs there with the pop-up there by crony, like just stay at second base, trying to force things. There wasn't a need to do it. Um, so that was a mistake there. But getting back to just overall for Manny, I've I've been encouraged by what I've seen. Uh, I think, you know, it doesn't feel like – it's kind of like Bogart. Like the, pow the power isn't really there as much as we had hoped going into the season. Um, I, I'm more confident in Manny's power coming back than Bogart's. I just don't know how long this wrist thing is going to affect Bogey because – at least me watching, I can tell that it is affecting him. Um, it was good to so it was good to see Manny Homer today. It was good to see Gary Homer. It was good to see Hassan Kim Homer. It was good to see Nelson Cruz come through. 
with the hit that he had drove into in the fifth, made it a 10 to nothing game. But as I said, as I said on my post game reaction, like some of these moments today, it was like, well, kind of like the score could be the potential, could score a lot of runs, could have the big moments, could hit a lot of runs. But let's look at what has happened so far this year. You know, it, it has not been that. Uh, Gary Sanchez, yeah, he has seven home runs this year. And he was great when he first came over. But he was 0 for 18 in his last eight games entering today. Nelson Cruz, great, great hit in the fifth, drove in a couple. Entering today, two for 11, batting 182 since coming off of the IL. And even before he went on the IL, just looking at the season as a whole, probably only $1 million was the contract. So I don't know if we should have had high expectations, but I still don't think that he has lived up to those as a Padre. So underwhelming performances as of late from some of these guys that had good days today. So I'm not going to sit here and say, maybe it's the turnaround to Nelson Cruz. No, I need a bigger sample size of him starting to turn it around before saying, you know what, that date right there, June 22nd, that was the turnaround for Nelson Cruz, or that was the turnaround for player X, you know? So today, like my takeaway, yeah, great, great, great win. But let's let's show it more. I'm not saying win 10-0 every day. That would be great, but show it more. Be more consistent on offense. Don't score 10 runs one day and score two runs yesterday. That's what that's what it feels like it has been a lot with this Padres team this year. If I go if I go through the schedule for the Padres this season, the games where they've scored a bunch of runs, what do they do the next night? I mean, look at this. April 9th, they scored 10 runs, won 10 to 2 against the Braves. The next night, they lost 5 nothing to the Mets. They scored 10 runs, 10 to 3. They win against the Brewers April 15th. What do they do on April 16th? They lose 1 to nothing. They score seven runs against the Diamondbacks on April 20th. What do they do the next night? They get shut out. Seven runs against the Diamondbacks Sunday, April 23rd. What do they do on April 25th, their next game? Zero runs. They lose six to nothing. You know, there was that good three game stretch 16 runs, six runs, eight runs end of April, that Mexico series, start of May. But what do they do the next night? May 2nd, one run. It's inconsistency. That's what we're seeing this year from this Padres team. It's inconsistency. May 30th, they score nine runs against the Marlins. What do they do the next day? The 31st of May, they score one run. They lose two to one. They score 10 runs against the Marlins June 1st. What do they do on June 2nd? They score one run. They lose two to one. Six runs, June 3rd against the Cubs. June 4th, one run they score. It's up and down and up and down. One run scored June 6th against the Mariners. The next day, they scored 10 runs. It's inconsistency. It is maddening. That's what this story has been this season. That's why the Padres don't have this great record. Despite the run differential, it might not be that bad, actually, because they have these blowout wins. But it gets evened out. In terms of win-losses, it gets evened out because you do nothing the next day or you do it for a couple days or a few days and then you don't do it the next couple days after that. So can this Padres team 
be better with runners in scoring position consistently? Can they have some power consistently? That's the question, and we'll see if they can do it. JD's third says offense is atrocious, worst offense with runners in scoring position in Major League Baseball history. I knew they were worst in baseball, but I didn't know in history. We are not the 19 Nats or the 2021 Braves because they could score. We will win 75, 77 games max this season. I'm still more optimistic than 75 wins, but I'm not convinced this team's a World Series contender right now because they're not playing like it. They haven't played like it consistently. And until they do, I'm not going to sit here and say that they are this consistent, or excuse me, that they, until they play consistently well, I'm not going to sit here and say that they're a World Series contender. They're not. You look at other teams around baseball that are playing better baseball consistently, those are the teams that you look at and it's like, all right, those are real World Series contenders. Just go look at the standings. The Rays, World Series contender. I know the Padres beat them. In those wins, they weren't great with runners in scoring position. You know, you look at some teams, you know, the Dodgers, you got to put them ahead of the Padres right now. The D-backs, maybe that's an exception of them being a World Series contender. Maybe they're a little bit ahead of, a little bit ahead of schedule, but they do have the foundational pieces there. Corbin Carroll, starting pitching, right? Even the Giants, this this series, as we saw, like there's some foundation there too. Sure, they used a couple openers, but they have a good bullpen. Padres have that, you know. They they do have, um, they have an okay, an okay core of pieces in the lineup. I'm I'm not super sold in the lineup, but my point is like there are some things with other teams in baseball where you're like, okay, yeah, that's why they're a real World Series contender. The Giants are not that. They were just a team the Padres just played, and there were some parts of their team that stood out to me. Um, No one in the AL Central is a World Series contender because you look at all the teams and they have those weaknesses. Right? You look at, let's see. The Braves, right? World Series contender. Why? Look at their offense. They've won eight games in a row. Look at their offense. Look at the starting rotation. It's consistent. They're they're a consistent team. You're not going to go win the World Series if you're not a consistent team. So we'll see if the Padres can start being more consistent. Um, Anything else from today? Oh, oh, well, I mean, Blake Snell. Yeah. We got to talk about Blake. He's been tremendous. His last six starts, 36 innings, two earned runs in his last six starts. I think that's correct. 36 innings, two earned runs, 56 punch outs, 13 walks. He didn't walk anyone today. Six innings of work today, six innings shutout, three hits allowed, 11 punch outs. I think I said 10 on my post game reaction. I meant 11. 11 punch-outs. This guy knows that his free agency is coming up. Um, Look, this is second half Blake Snell that we're seeing in the first half of the season. And with every start like this, it's making me lean towards maybe the Padres should pay him. You know, he loves, loves, seems like he loves it with the Padres. Maybe they should. 
I'm not there yet where I'm like, yeah, they definitely should pay him this big contract. But when you see this, like, you know, the upside's there, you know, the talent is there, the strikeout stuff that he has. It's like, man, this guy is super talented and he is. It's just, you still have those inconsistent starts in the back of your mind that he's had with the Padres in his career. That's, that's what probably gives you pause. So that's a long ways down the road. He could just crap the bed in September down, you know, going down the stretch and Padre fans are probably going to have a much easier uh, decision, at least if they were the, the GM, if, a, if they were Peter Seidler, if they would give the money to Snell or not. If he crops the bed, no. Look at the inconsistency he had the first couple years with the Padres, and he's showing us who he really is, if that's what happens. But if he pitches really well the rest of the year, maybe Peter Seidler will, will be convinced to give him a big contract. And maybe Padres fans don't want that because they're seeing the big contracts playing out, right? With Jake Cronenworth, with Xander Bogarts, Manny has underperformed this year. I'm still, I was, of course, I'm fine with the contracts that they've given out with those three guys, at least me. I was fine with it. Um, some of the long-term deals, it, it, some fans are like, yep, that's not looking great right now. And so some might say, yeah, maybe let's not, maybe let's pass on giving Snell a long-term contract. Maybe the Padres just want to go like the Los Angeles Dodgers route with, with Snell and they just throw a ton of money at him for a short-term, you know, kind of like the Mets did with uh, Verlander and Scherzer. I'm not saying that Snell's going to get 40 million a year from the Padres, but maybe they don't want to give him a long-term deal and they just want to say, hey, we'll give you a, 30 million a year, 35 or whatever it takes for a couple years, a few years, and there you go. But we're not giving you a long-term contract. Although AJ has loved doing those long-term contracts to lower the AAV because guess what? He's going all in here. That's what he has shown. The Bogarts contract, right? Going all in, lower AAV, a longer deal than what they should have given him, but a lower AAV. Maybe a longer deal than they should have given Crony, but a lower AAV that you could say the same thing about you Darvish. It lowers the AAV, right? So um, they kind of did that with Suarez too, but AJ has a history of that. So I don't know if they'd go short-term high AAV with Snell just based on AJ's history, but um, I think the way with Snell's pitching, he's making Peter Seidler because Peter Seidler has the ultimate say. He's probably making Peter Seidler really think about giving him giving him a bunch of money. And obviously Boris is his agent, so he's really going to squeeze as much money as he can out of the Padres if the Padres do go that route. Devin asks, who do you prefer to sign Ben? Lockdown, Hater, or Blake Snell? That's that's a good, that's a really good would you rather, Devin. I would go. With Blake Snell, Josh Hader, I'm not giving over $100 million to a guy that doesn't pitch back-to-back-to-back days, a guy that doesn't pitch more than an inning. He's not getting younger. I know that's the same with Snell as well. But Snell, you could say he's still, like, in the middle of his prime. With Hader, is that, you know, is that the case? I'm talking about, like, a couple years down the road. Are we going to be sitting here saying that, yeah, he's 
still in his prime. He's still maybe leading the league in saves, you know? Sorry, I got something in my eye. Holy cow. But, yeah, it's a good question. I would probably go with uh, Snell on that. I just – and A.J., he's had a history of giving relievers – gosh, something in my eye. Um, he has a history of giving relie- – or finding relievers, giving those, like, one-year deals to relievers, uh, two-year deals, finding guys that he doesn't have to pay a ton of money to. I know they gave a ton of money to Suarez, but – um, that's just not really who Preller has been is giving a ton of money to a reliever. He can go find those one-year, two-year guys. All right, quick break. Check out Gaglione Bros' famous cheesesteaks and garlic fries on Friars Road. You can visit their website, gaglionebros.com, for their entire menu and enjoy their cheesesteaks and fries at Petco Park and Snapdragon Stadium as well. All right, anything else here in the chat? I did want to talk about yesterday's game, obviously. Sorry about that again. I had something in my eye. Yeah, that was annoying. Um, all right, so today there's nothing really I want to dive deep on in today's game because, again, like I said earlier, it's, it's been inconsistency with this Padres team. And so, yeah, it's a great 10 nothing win, but it's not like I want to, like, relish this 10 nothing win and be like, oh, my gosh, that was the greatest thing ever because I have the first three games in the, in the back, maybe the front of my mind, actually, right? Uh, I have this season, you know, all of those games that I went through, the great games, and then right after that they do nothing. I have that in my head. So it's hard for me to get that excited about, a great 10 nothing win like this. Like it's, it's pretty much me saying, and there's probably going to be other Padre fans that'll say the same thing. Yep. Great win. And now can they do it again? Great win, but will they do it again? Will they do it again tomorrow against a bad team? If they do it again tomorrow, then that's great. I'm still not going to say, Oh, they're turning it around. I'm just going to say, well, thank goodness that they, were able to do that for two games. Um, one game that they really needed and another against a bad opponent in the first game. So Wednesday, the Padres lose 4-2. to two. This was one of the games that maybe they could have won. Games 1 and 2, I mean, they had a lead late in the game. Should have won those games. Bottom line, should have won those games. Wednesday, I don't know if the game would have went the way some fans think it would have. Because some fans are saying, well, in that spot, it was one nothing, right? The Gary Sanchez play at the plate. Nando throws the runner out. The call initially is that Sanchez tags him out. He's out. Just a normal play. Why was the runner even going? He was easily thrown out. Then they went to review. Gabe Kapler decides to do that. And the umpires look at it, or the replay umpire in New York, and says, yeah, blocking the plate runner safe so the inning would have been over if the runner would have been out like he should have been inning goes on runner scores so now it's two nothing there and then 
two more runs score in that inning, and now it's a four nothing game. And the Padres they added they they scored a couple runs, made it four two, but it was just a dumb call. I get some fans that want to say, well, Sanchez there, he was kind of or, or his left foot was on the outside part of the baseline. So he was kind of blocking the plate according to the rule. But if you go watch my breakdown that I did last night on this whole thing, there's literally a rule and there's part of the rule in there that says that pretty much essentially, I don't have it like right in front of me, but essentially the, the blocking the plate rule, there's an exception. If the guy is easily out, then the block, the blocking the plate rule doesn't have to be called into effect essentially. Like, you, you can disregard the blocking the plate rule if he's easily thrown out. Because Bomel, he was he had a good point. Like Sanchez, at some point, he has to go where the ball is gonna go and he has to go get the runner. If you see the runner when he rounded third, I think Sayball was his name, the catcher. He was rounding third wide. So he was already going gonna come into the plate wide, and then he swerved out even more. So Gary has to go tag him. He has to go get him. So where do you want him to go? You want him to not tag him? Do you want him to not go up the line where Nando's throw was? What do you want Gary to do there? And it's all happening so fast. So you want Gary to go get the ball, but make sure, like football, make sure that his foot is in in fair territory, kind of like a wide receiver, make sure it's in bounds there. You want him, he needs to do that. While... The runner is coming home. And he's trying to go catch the ball from Nando. Like, it's just, that rule is dumb. And it happened to the White Sox, or excuse me, it happened to the Rangers. It was against the White Sox the night before. And then yesterday, the replay call gets changed, uh, or the call gets changed to safe. So stupid. And Bomel said after the game, it's one of the stupidest, or it's one of the, something like, he said something like, it's one of the worst calls he's seen this year, uh, which I agree with. Back-to-back nights in Major League Baseball were probably the worst calls of the year. Uh, Manny said after the game, like, he doesn't know if umpires really even know the rule. Um, because I, I think what he's referring to there is what I talked about. Uh, when a guy is easily thrown out, he's out by like 20 feet, then you don't have to call that blocking the plate. Again, Gary, he has to go get it at some point. He has to go across the foul line. He has to go into foul territory to go tag the runner because that's where the runner is. And it's not like he was standing right in front of the plate and the runner was coming right down the line. I'd understand that. It's not like it was the play on Sunday, I think that was, right? Sunday when Tatis threw it in to Nola. It's not like it was that. There's more of a case for blocking the plate there because it was a close bang-bang play than there was for yesterday. And that changed everything, obviously, like I said. Because a run scores there, it's 2 nothing, And then two more runs are scored, a couple RBI hits. Later in, now Darvish, he's not going to make, he didn't make excuses, like pretty much saying he has to be better there and okay but he the point is like it should have been one nothing there and if everything went the same way Padres would have won I guess two to one but who knows if they would have went the same way but like 
Darvish may be part of the reason he ended up giving up those runs. He had to get warm again because there was the extended delay. Uh, maybe it threw him off his game. I don't know. That's probably excuses for Darvish. Like he he's not making excuses for himself. So he should have come through uh, and not given up those runs. But still, the, still, he should have been out of the inning. The Padres should have been out of the inning. Tatis did his job, threw the ball into home. Sanchez, I mean, again, where do you want him to go? Replay review umpire in New York. Where do you want him to go? So that I just think it was a dumb call. But also with that said, let's not say that the Padres were going to win two to one, like a hundred percent. What we can say a hundred percent is the offense let the team down again with runners in scoring position last night. And I see JD's third in the comments. Yeah. I'm definitely going to get to that. One for 12 is what the offense went yesterday with runners in scoring position. Top of the first Bogart struck out looking with the runner in scoring position. Top of the fourth, uh, Manny obviously was in scoring position. He gets double off because he tried tagging, which was just stupid on his part, I think. He disagrees, but I understand what he saw there. The base was open at the time, but you still don't run there. A sack fly does nothing. or There is no sack fly if he even tags up because there's two outs on the crony pop-up. He got doubled off the end of the inning. So that took a runner out of scoring position. Top of the fifth, Tati struck out with runners on second and third to end that inning. Uh, top of the sixth, Crony grounded into a double play. Kim almost grounded into a double play in the seventh. Top of the eighth, Ordor popped out, shallow right, uh, with Manny on third. And, yeah, San Francisco won four to two. Like, the offense, again, like, I go back to what I've said multiple times in this episode here. Ten-nothing, Padres win today. That's great, but what are they going to do tomorrow? But, you know, they win ten-nothing, but what did they do yesterday? Look what they did yesterday. Look what they did the day before with runners in scoring position, right? Look what they did in the race series. Yeah, they won the series, but they went five for 25 with runners in scoring position in that series. It's just not convincing. These one-off games, it's great, but it also pisses you off because you look back at the other performances that they've had the day after or the day before, and it's like, why can't they do that almost every day? They have the talent to do it most of the time they have the talent to do that or at least we thought going into the year they had the talent to do that 90 games 90 times a year and some of the other times it's you know these close wins right or maybe 75 80 times a year and the other games that they win to get to 100 wins or 95 or however many wins you thought they were going to get before the season started the rest of those games were going to be those close games that they were going to able they were, they were going to be able to win those games, those one-run games. This team sucks with in one-run games this year. It's not good. So just frustrating, frustrating. And obviously, so could have won yesterday. They won today. Game two of the series, should have won that series. Hater has to be better. Nick Martinez has to be better. Maybe Stephen Wilson should have pitched a second inning in that game, uh, and they don't go to Tim Hill, but those guys should have been better. The offense still should have been better um, in that spot as well. Um, game one, they had a lead there. Didn't do the job. Garcia sucked. And Yastrzemski gets the walk-off, right? Like, it's a series they should have won. And maybe these are going to be games that we're going to look back at at the end of the year and say, well, 
that cost us a postseason spot or that cost us home field advantage in a wild card series. Um, you know, if we're fortunate enough to be in that spot. So yeah, it's, it's irritating. It's, it's freaking frustrating. All right. I want to get to the skip Schumacher stuff here after this break. I want to tell you about the best and easiest way to play fantasy sports. It's underdog fantasy. They have great pick'em games and best ball tournaments. In pickup games, just pick higher or lower on two to five players' stats, and you can win up to 20 times your money in a single night. You can go cross-team, cross-league, and even cross-sport. Best ball revolves around the draft, which is what every fan loves the most about fantasy, and it eliminates the hassle of having to manage your roster all season long, resulting in a fun and easy fantasy product. How does it work exactly? You enter a contest where you participate in a snake draft against other users. That lineup that you drafted competes against every other draft in the entire contest. The better the combined performance of your team, the more money you win. After your lineup is all played, Underdog will take the best performing players and automatically set them as your starting lineup. That's it. No waivers, no trades, no worrying about who to start or sit. After you complete your draft, your part is done. Underdog Fantasy offers best ball in a variety of ways, including daily contests, weekly contests, playoff contests, and season-long contests. You can either enter into these and compete against thousands of other entrants for huge prizes, or if you'd like, you can enter into a private draft with friends and family to compete for a smaller prize pool. Underdog keeps it super simple with their easy-to-use website and mobile apps. Sign up now by clicking the link in the description or by using the promo code TALKINGFRIARS and you'll double your first deposit up to $100 in bonus cash when you make your first deposit of $10 or more. So if you deposit $100, you get $100 free. If you deposit $10, you get $10 free. All right. I apologize, by the way. I just noticed this. I didn't plug my uh, extension cord uh, into my laptop today. So. Hopefully the Wi-Fi is okay. Usually the Wi-Fi sucks when I don't do that. So I apologize for that. I totally forgot about that and I can't get up now. Um, so Skip Schumacher, he had some comments to the Dan Lebertard show this week. Obviously he used to work for the Padres. He was a essentially bench coach. Associate manager was the label. I think that's the same label that Ryan Christensen has right now under Bob Melvin. He was the associate manager, I think for Andy Green a little bit too, but I know for Jace Tingler. And he made these comments on the Dan Lamitard show. Here's a, just take a listen. What I've learned the most is I have to have a really good staff around me. I have to be surrounded by guys that I can trust. Um, covering my blind spots was huge. I've been on staff before where it was a little bit toxic and um, guys were going after each other's jobs or, you know, that type of stuff. That is not how this thing should be run. It's very lucky that, that Kim um, let, I wouldn't say we together identified some people that I've either coached with or played with to uh, become part of our staff and know what winning looks like. And there's no ego involved. It's always been about the player. Always been about the player. So he brings up toxic work environment. I've been on staff before where it was a little bit toxic and guys were going after each other's jobs. 
And immediately when I posted that on social media yesterday, a lot of Padres fans thought it, about the Padres. They thought about Jace Tingler, that coaching staff, right? Had Bobby Dickerson on it, um, you know, and Bobby Dickerson, right? We remember the stuff with Manny and Tatis. We remember the stuff with, I think, Tommy Pham and Hassan Kim, right? And so that coaching staff, I think Larry Rothschild, right? Like, Guys calling for maybe Jace Tingler's job. I don't know if Skip was referring to certain, if he was referring to players as well, because we know that some players did not like Jace Tingler and they wanted him gone. So I know he mentioned staffs, but maybe part of that was some players in the clubhouse. But also, I don't know if he's talking about the Padres. Is he talking about the Cardinals? Because remember, or maybe you don't remember if you're just like a Padres fan and you're, you're kind of just zoned in on the Padres. But with the Cardinals, Mike Schilt, uh, he and the Cardinals separated. And I think it was due to philosophical differences. Mosellock was not on the same page, the president of baseball ops for the Cardinals. He was not on the same page as Mike Schilt, despite Mike Schilt having success with the Cardinals. So it was kind of head-scratching. And Ollie Marmol, I believe, was the bench coach for Mike Schilt. And he stepped in. So was it Ollie Marmol calling for Schilt's job, trying to get that job? Is that the toxic uh, environment that Skip is referring to here, or is he referring to the Padres? Is he not refer- is he not just referring to the coaching staff? Been on staff before, it was a little bit toxic. Guys were going after each other's jobs. The toxic part I wanted to focus on is, is he referring to the staff only, if it is the Padres, or was he referring to maybe A.J. Preller? Because obviously there's been some things out there about A.J. Preller and him being the micromanager and always being involved in everything, maybe not allowing people to just go do their jobs, just wanting to be involved with everything. Um, Maybe not trusting enough people in the organization, right? Like, what is he referring to here? We don't know. He didn't mention the specific organization, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's the Padres, but it could be the Cardinals as well. Uh, that was just an interesting comment. We know that things have not always been great with the Padres in terms, you know, obviously the coaching staff. I'm sure there were coaches on Jace Tingler's staff that took the job, maybe thinking, hey, maybe I could be the manager when Jace gets fired in the middle of the season. This guy has no experience. Maybe I'll do it. Um, I'm, that's just in my head. Andy Green, maybe, same thing just calling for jobs, maybe. Um, And we've heard things about AJ as well. What does the chat think about this? I don't see the chat with any comments on it, but there was some stuff about Preller here. Where is it? I'm trying to find the... Preller comment here. Devin's Preller is a dictator. He's bad news. He loves being involved with everything. Like he's always on the phone, right? We see it batting practice and stuff. It seems like he's always on the phone. Uh, yes, I wear contacts. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to pull up that comment. Um, he's always on, he's always checking in on players. He, he is the guy in the organization and he wants to be in on everything. And I think 
it would benefit the organization if he stepped back on some things. I, I think that's fair to say for sure. Uh, Devin says the win today didn't really hype me up. Honestly, my disappointment, anger, the last three games have ruined my good hopes for the team. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of how I feel. Uh, like it was a great win. Um, encouraged by what I'm seeing from Snell. Obviously he's pitching like one of the best players in baseball, one of the best pitchers in baseball. Cause he is as of late. Um, and it was great to see the offense do that today, but can they do that consistently? We haven't seen that this year. We've seen it for maybe a couple games, a few games, and then they go right back to scoring no runs, one run. I know the game of baseball is hard, and they're not going to do that every day. But they should be, the talent that's on this team, they should be doing it more than they are. And they're not, and that's why they are where they are, which is 36-39, and 39, fourth place in the National League West. Lost two games on the Giants here in after this series, in this series, right, because it's head-to-head. And they're games out of the wild card. I know it's June, and I, I don't look at the wild card, but I know that because I'm listening to sports talk and that social media people that put it out there. So I kind of have to see it. Raul says that call on Gary was so BS. Thank you for the super chat, by the way. I appreciate it. If anyone wants to join the show, give your thoughts on the Padres. Click that link that's pinned up at the top of the comments or the, the live stream here on YouTube. Uh, if you want to make sure I get to your comment or your question, you can use that super chat button. Yeah, I agree. I agree, Raul. The call on Gary. Yeah, I I totally disagreed with the call. Um, and I'm not even talking about have some feel because I know Bomel mentioned that in the post game presser. Like, gotta have some feel in that situation. Essentially, is what he was saying. I'm not. I don't really agree with that. Like the replay review people, they're not supposed to have a feel for the game if it's. If it's a violation, it's a violation. If it's breaking the rules, it's breaking the rules. Um, you know, in soccer, if someone is offsides by a foot, if they're offsides by the toe of their cleat, they're offsides. That, that's the rule. And so you call it offsides. The VAR cars, calls it offsides. In baseball, if you're against the rules, you're offside. Or you're not offsides. If you're against the rules, it's against the rules. You should be penalized for it. But in the rules for in the rules in this play, it wasn't blocking the plate because this guy was easily out. It's part of the rule. It's an exception. If he's easily out, the blocking of the plate rule doesn't have to be um, in effect, if you will. I saw it on social media here. So let me I want to go pull up the actual part of this rule here because I saw it when this happened last night. Here we go. Per a two per a September 2014 memorandum to the rule, the runner may still be called out if he was clearly if he was clearly beaten by the throw. Backstops are not subject to this rule on force plays. The runner may still be called out if he was clearly beaten by the throw. That play last night qualifies under clearly beaten by the throw. It does. Go watch my breakdown that I did. I encourage you to do so if you've not already. It shows the play. I've, I showed the play a bunch. That's easily beaten by the throw. So it should not have been blocking the plate. And I agree with Bomel, not with the feel part, 
the replay review, if it's against the rules, it's against the rules. But this was not against the rules because part of the rule allows for this not to go into effect if the runner is easily out. I agree with Bomel when he says, yeah, it was one of the worst calls of the season. JD's third says, Manny should have been explaining why he tried to steal third base. He did. He said that, well, he tried, it wasn't stealing, tag third, tag, tag two third. Um, he said because there was no one covering third. If you, you go look at the high angle that we didn't see on the broadcast. So there were tons of people pissed off. I understand why he went, but I'm still pissed off about it. Like, don't try to force the issue there. But if you see the overhead view from like the broadcast booth view or whatever it is, um, on social media, I forget from who, but third base is vacated. And then as Manny is tagging, the third baseman runs to third. Brandon Crawford at short cuts the throw off. And then that gives him time, the third baseman time to get to third base and easily get Manny. But again, the crony pop out there, if Manny doesn't tag, there's two outs right there. You're already in scoring position. Two outs and you get on third, let's say, if you do make it, what does that do? The off chance of a wild pitch? Just stay on second base. Victor on 714 says, X-Man to the IL when? Yeah, I don't I don't think he's going to the IL. Um, he's playing better since he returned from that little absence. Again, it wasn't an IL stint, but he's still playing better since then. At least if you look at the numbers. I thought they should have put him on the IL at that point when he did miss some of those games. Like, just get it back to being fully healthy or as close to being as fully healthy as you can. Uh, but they decided to not do that. I don't know if Xander's like, by the way, yeah. I don't know if he's changing his mechanics at all at the plate. Like, because if he is, if the wrist is hurting, is he changing the mechanics where he's getting into bad habits because he doesn't want to feel pain? I don't know. If that's the case, then yeah, they put him on the IL because you can't get in those bad habits. Because once you get healthy and then you're in the bad habits, then you're going to keep slumbling. I would imagine, right? Uh, Brent says, need to discuss the decline of Jake Cronenworth. Decline in every statistical category, statistical category every season since entering the bigs, and after today has a lower OPS on the season than Grisham. Really? Is that true? 668 for Crony and, well, 669. So, yeah, barely. Um, what I can say to that is, yeah, a lot of the, the, the sample size from this year for Crony, and you see that OPS where it is, is because of probably some of the bad habits that he got into early on in the season where he was trying to launch balls and it felt like he was trying to pull everything. He was not hitting like the Jake Cronenworth that we were used to seeing these last couple of years entering this year, where he would be okay with having the short swing and go the opposite way. That's not what I was seeing for the first you know, few months of the season. But recently, I have started to see a better Jake Cronenworth, uh, especially over that homestand. Him taking the, I think also in that Colorado series, shorter swings, 
going the other way, not being afraid to go the other way and just get on base however you can. Um, now, this is on baseball reference, so it's not updated through today. But let's look at the game logs. Okay, so his first, let's say, I don't know, his first 60 games. Is that a good sample size? His first 60 games, okay? 198 average, a 664 OPS. Right? Not good. Now, if we go after those first 60 games, and we look at since then, this is entering today, since then, so I guess the last game of that Seattle series, I did see him go the opposite way there. Felt like the shorter swings. I guess he did homer in that game. I forgot about that. But since then, it's still not amazing, but he's hitting 265 with a 710 OPS. So it is getting better. He is doing better since then. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And if you look at the game logs, there's a lot of offers, obviously, for Crony. Um, you know, the first 60 games. But since then, entering today, you see four offers in, what is that? 13 games, which is going to happen. It's baseball, but it doesn't feel like it's as many as it was, you know, the first 60. Um, so, yeah, I think maybe the contract doesn't work out for the Padres, the long term contract, but I was fine with it because he's one of the important pieces on this team. When he's going well, he's a middle of the order bat 
He can play multiple positions. He He's not someone that gets hurt, or if he does get hurt, because he probably has gotten hurt, but he battles through it. He stays on the field, you know. He posts. So um, anyone who knows me, obviously, they know that Jake and Joe, you know, those are my two favorite Padres. Um, so I'm probably biased in defending Jake uh, and defending Joe if he's not, whenever he's not pitching great. Like, I, I probably give him more of a leash than some other fans. Um, but truly, if you're looking at this from a non-biased view, like you're looking at the the contract when it happened, you probably thought that it was a decent contract. Because you saw the money. You saw the AAV. It's like, what? Look at what Jeff McNeil got. Look at what some other guys got. That feels like a bargain. That's how I felt at the time. Just looking at the contract. And I'm like, oh, okay. What was it? 80 over seven years, I think. Not even $12 million a year for a guy who was back-to-back All-Stars, obviously came up clutch in the postseason, plays every day, not someone that gets hurt all the time. I mean, yeah, sign me up. Contact hitter, great defensively. Yeah, I liked it. Um, and I'm not going to give up on it now, first season in. I mean, come on. Same thing with Bogarts. I know, I know there's a lot of fans that are comparing the – the Bogarts contract already to Eric Hosmer. And I'm like, come on, guys, really? We're going to do that in the first year of this contract? Let's let's relax about that first year. I get it's not going well, but talk about overreaction. That's, that's an overreaction. Tyler says, I wish we still had Jose Iglesias and we could bring, up, bring him up while Xander rests and stays on the IL until he gets the next quarter zone shot. Yeah, but that means you're putting Xander on the IL for how long? One, two, three, three weeks, right? Because I think he was, isn't he waiting for like the All-Star break or something like that to get the next quarter zone shot? So you're putting him on the IL for weeks. Do the Padres want to do that? I, I was fine with putting him on the IL when he had those few days off because I was like, hey, let's get this guy fully, you know, put him on the 10-day. Have a missed 10 days. They didn't do it, obviously, but okay. But three weeks for one of your superstars? Yeah, that, that's not going to happen. Uh, I'm going to keep going through this chat. I love talking with Padre fans, obviously. If you want to join the show, click the link that's pinned up at the top of the chat, and I'll get through the comments. You can make sure I get to your comment by using that super chat button. It supports the channel as well, so I appreciate everyone who does that. Um, I'm just seeing if there's anything I wanted to mention here from these last couple games of this series um, that I did not mention. Because the rest of the way, I'll probably just go through the chat and then there's some other San Diego sports stuff to get to. Yeah, I think I covered everything that I wanted to hit on. Snell's been fantastic. Offense, can they do it consistently? Well, same old story. Uh, Chad says, it's interesting to imagine this team in 2025 if they aren't able to keep Soto. No Soto, no Snell, no Kim, no Hader. Machado, Darvish, Bogarts, two years older, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, so 
uh, let's say Soto, so he's not on the team 2025. You don't know if they're not going to have Snell. And no Kim, I don't think that's the end of the world because I think Jackson Merrill, if he's not traded, he'd probably be up by then, right? So I don't think that would be the end of the world. And no hater, to be honest, I don't think that would be the end of the world either because in 2025, is he going to be pitching as good as he pitched at the end of last year? Is he still going to be doing that? And AJ Preller, if he's still here, he has a track record of going out and getting smaller salary guys to be the closer for a year, a couple years. I don't know if it's the smartest thing to, I know the Padres had it with Trevor, but is it the smartest thing? Especially with how much money Josh Hader is going to want based on what Edwin Diaz got, right? I don't know if it's the smartest thing to be giving your closer, who has minimal impact, closer over $100 million. When you can spend that on multiple relievers, you can spend that on a big-time starter, um, you can spend that on position players. It would be one thing if Preller had no history of bringing in closers and you finally got Hader. That's not what this is. Um, And... Again, talking about Hater's availability, like maybe if he got the contract, he'd be willing to go back to back to back days because he has the money and it's guaranteed. But, I mean, we don't know if that actually would happen if he got paid. All we know is what's happening now, and he doesn't go more than an inning. He doesn't pitch three days in a row. He provides minimal impact. When he's in the game, usually you can count on it, you know, him closing it down, which is great. But the Padres, A.J. Preller, he's had a history of finding other guys that are much cheaper than what Hader's going to be in free agency per year. Much cheaper guys to do that same job. Maybe not as good of a rate, but, I mean, you do have to win games. You have to be winning in the ninth inning to really maximize Josh Hader, right? And you can make the case the Padres didn't totally maximize Trevor Hoffman, right, because of the team's talent when he was with the Padres for most of his times, right? You got to maximize that if you're really going to have that big time closer. And right now is Josh Hader. Is he the guy that you want to pay a ton of money to? If the offense isn't going to give him a ton of save situations, you know, how many, who's the best, like, Let's look at Camilo Camilo Duvall, right? That's his name, the Giants reliever. He popped in my head, obviously, because the Padres just played him. So I want to compare him and Josh Hader. Like, how frequently do they get in the game? Because I'm just trying to look at some of the better relievers in baseball. Um, and I'll, I'll, I can compare Hader to not just Duvall, but so Duvall, 34 games, Hader, 30. So not that big of a difference. Hader, 1-2-6 ERA. Duvall, 1-8-7. How much is Duvall making? Is he on a rookie contract? He's 25, so he's younger than Hader. Yeah, he's making less than a million dollars this year. Like, there's guys out there that the Padres can find, and, and Preller has done that before. He's found veterans that have done the job before at lesser money, you know? Um, Alexis Diaz with the Reds, he sticks out to me. About the same amount of appearances as Hayter. He has a 203 RA. He's been good. Um, who's the closer? Former Padre Emmanuel Classe with the Guardians. 
36 appearances, 30 for Hader. Like that might not seem like a lot, but when you're a reliever and you're not pitching every day, you spread those six appearances apart. What is that? A couple weeks of time. That's six more appearances. He has a two five five ERA, so not as good numbers as Hader, but he's pitching more often. And how much is he making? Not as much as Hader, I would imagine. So hopefully you get my point. Like there's there's the talent that you can go find out there to fill that role that is probably better, you know, to spread the money around than to give a big contract, another big contract to a reliever. And maybe Siler's like, yeah, I'm not giving this to Hater because look what we did with Suarez, right? We gave him that money and look what's happened. That's only one year in. I get it. And you never, how were they supposed to know an injury was going to happen? You can't know that. But uh, maybe the Padres are going to be like, yeah, let's not give another big contract to a reliever. Because what if this happens to Hater too? So I know that was a long answer, but that's my answer. JD's third says AJ will get an extension after we fail to make the playoffs. Yeah, that's he already has an extension. And if they don't make the playoffs, I think that's the one scenario where Seidler probably has to part with AJ. With the expectations of this year, if you don't make the postseason, it is a failure. I thought going into the year, if they don't go far, it's probably a failure. So if they don't make the playoffs, yeah, that's a failure of a season right there. And how are you going to keep this guy that has not made it to the World Series? He's had one great year in a full season because 2020, they made the playoffs, but that was a short year. One great year, made it to the NLCS. You're going to allow this guy to continue steering the ship if you make the if you miss the postseason with all of this talent on the team? At some point, Siler's probably going to say, you know what, I'll just pay the rest of Preller's contract and See you later. Or, you know what, man? You're going to have to accept a scouting role in this organization if you want to stay in this organization. Because you're not it, man. If they miss the postseason, that, that's how it's going to have to go. You can't sell, oh, no, this is just a once-in-a-hundred type season, you know, players underperforming. It won't, help, it won't happen again. Well, didn't, didn't Seidler already pull that quote? in 2021 where they had talent on that team and they collapsed. This isn't even like a collapse. It's just, it's been a full, uh, you know, it's not like they were really good and then down. No, they haven't been really good consistently this year. It's just been an underwhelming, disappointing season so far. Yeah, I saw that, Devin. Uh, David Dahl, he signed, was it a minor league deal? Signed with the Dodgers? Yeah, that means when the Padres play the Dodgers, Dahl's going to be up there on the roster. And he's probably going to hit a hit a bomb or a big extra base hit to give the Dodgers the lead. That's just the way it's going to go. Just going through the chat here. JD's third says, not one player on this team has matched or exceeded their career averages. Every single player has regressed horribly. Odor is the player 50 points above his average. Everyone else is in the toilet. Yeah, 
Well, with runners in scoring position, that's definitely true. I haven't looked at everyone's numbers, just regular numbers, but I know Kevin AC the other day in his newsletter, he put out that chart of guys with runners in scoring position this season compared to before 2023. And everyone but Odor is down with runners in scoring position. They're, I think they're average. Everyone. So that's been like one word to describe this offense this year. Underwhelming. Not living up to their potential. Is that what, six words? That's something to describe it too. Um, disappointing. Frustrating. That's what it's been. And you think that things are going to turn around because it's baseball. They're not going to do this the whole year. But I wouldn't blame people that think that they're not going to turn it around because it is. it has been a big sample size. How many games are we at now? Today, they just finished playing their, what, 75th game. We're almost halfway through the season. On the road trip in Pittsburgh and Cincinnati, they're going to be halfway through the season. And these are the numbers. It's disappointing. I still have the faith at the end of the year that this team will be a postseason team. But again, I don't blame you if you think that they're not. I just don't want you jumping back on if you know they start playing consistently well and saying, yeah, World Series contender. Like it's fine to be frustrated and pissed off, but for those like JD's third saying, what what did, what did JD's third say here? 75 wins or something? I don't want him to jump back on and say this is the best team ever. This team's going to the World Series if they they turn it around. You know? Uh, it's your boy says team is cooked if they can't sweep the Nats. Yeah, I mean, I disagree with cooked. I think, you know, from here on out, it feels like, yeah, I just got to win series and they probably got to sweep some teams and sweeping the Nats definitely would be great. Um, but they're not cooked if they can't sweep the Nats. Like, it's still, you know, after the Nats series, what? It's June 25th, you know, that that night after the Nats series finale there. So they're not cooked, but it feels like I've been saying, well, it's it's only, you know, at the beginning of the year, it's only April, it's only May, it's only beginning of June, only middle of June. Now starting to say, well, it's, it's only almost the end of June. They still got time. When is that point where even for me, someone who continues to want to have faith in this team, when is that time where someone like me says, yeah, it's too late? I'm not saying it's early, but I'm still trying to hold on and say like, yeah, there's still multiple months, still multiple months left. And I'm sorry, I still look at the talent on this roster and I'm like, how is this going to happen the whole year? This is going to happen the whole year? How? Brent says, I don't know a single person that thought, damn, that Cronenworth contract is a bargain. Uh, are you sure? Well, you you probably hang around different people than I do. 
You probably interact with different people than I do. I don't know if you have social media or not, but I was watching shows, uh, listening to sports talk shows here in town, uh, looking at fans on social media. They were pumped up about the Cronenworth contract. So if you were pumped up then about it, I don't think less than a year in is the time to go crapping on it. That's, that seems a little hypocr hypocritical to me. All right. Let's get to some San Diego sports stuff here. Really one main San Diego sports topic. And that is the San Diego Wave. So this Saturday, 7 p.m., they play at Snapdragon against the Oil Rain. It's the final match where the players will be with their clubs before they head off to international duty. The U.S. Women's National Team will be in camp after this OL Rain match, Wave Rain, after this weekend's NWSL games. They'll be in camp, um, I believe. I think it's all international camps, not just the U.S. Women's National Team. So this is kind of like the send-off match for the Wave. And then there's going to be, I think it's seven matches maybe, could be seven matches that Wave players miss uh, up to those seven matches, four matches in the Challenge Cup. Uh, so the Wave depth is definitely going to come into play. Um, the main topic I wanted to get to, though, was the U.S. Women's National Team rosters. The U.S. Women's National Team roster was released yesterday, and two San Diego Wave players were selected to the squad, and they were expected to be selected to the squad. One, Alex, Alex uh, Morgan, obviously. I was about to say Alex Germa. <laughs> Combine the two names. And the other, Naomi Germa. Uh, Naomi Germa, she's going to start for this World Cup roster, one of the center backs. Alex Morgan, she's going to start at the nine, obviously, for the U.S. Women's National Team. And so that's going to be cool to see two San Diego players playing in the biggest women's sporting event in the world uh, this summer in Australia, in New Zealand. And they're going to be playing some pretty key parts, some key roles on that team, obviously, with Alex Morgan, um, again, as one of the forwards, and Gurma. With Becky Sauerbrunn going down with the injury, obviously, and not being available for the World Cup, she's going to be stepping into a huge role. Her and Alana Cook there um, in the center backs positions there uh, with a couple defenders as well on their line. Um, there, there's pressure, definitely. There's pressure on the whole team, but there's pressure on those two. And Taylor Korniak, she was another wave player that was on, on the bubble. Morgan was not on the bubble. Germa was not on the bubble. They were going to make it, and I'm pumped for them. Morgan, obviously, we know this is, I think, her fourth World Cup, over 200 caps, over 120 goals in international competition. Um, Naomi Germa, she is one of the best defenders in the world already, and she's 23. Wave signed her to an extension through 2026, so I'm super happy um, for her getting this first World Cup for her, and she's going to play a big part in it uh, if the U.S. Women's National Team have success in this tournament. The one-way player that did not make it that 
again, was on the bubble, Taylor Korniak. And I thought that she had a decent chance of making it because of her length. I thought with set pieces, maybe late in matches, if you need a goal or you need to stop a goal, that length where she can header a ball out or header a ball in, you know, the Wave have used that with her, obviously. She's over six feet tall. I thought that maybe Vlatko Anonofsky and the U.S. Women's National Team staff would have chosen Korniak for that. She wouldn't have started, but be on the bench, come off the bench maybe in certain roles. Um, so I was a little surprised to not see her on the roster. But at the same time, she did deal with an injury this year. She was dealing with an injury, and she hasn't played a full match, I don't believe, yet. Could be wrong on that. But she's pretty much been a game changer for the Wave. So what that means, she's been coming off the bench. Or if she does start, I forget if she started the last uh, match or last couple, one of the last couple. If she's starting, she's not playing the entire match. And I think Vlatko, U.S. Women's National Team, they they probably wanted someone that was going to play the entire match, someone that didn't have the injury questions, because there are some midfielders already that are making it, like Rose Lavelle, she's definitely one, that is coming back from an injury. So they probably didn't want to fill up a spot with someone who also maybe isn't fully ready, but there is time to be ready. You know, the, the, the World Cup doesn't start for the U.S. Women's National Team until uh, July 21st, I think July 22nd there, where, where they're going to be playing that first match in group stage. So there was going to be time. So yes, I am a little bit surprised that Taylor Korniak did not make it, uh, but you do also see the names that are on the roster, some of the names that are uh, in the midfield, and it's like, well, they're they're still in good shape. You know, they're still in good shape. We can go over the entire roster here. So goalkeepers, Abu Kingsbury from the Washington Spirit, she made it on. AD French did not make it. Uh, Kingsbury has been playing well. Casey Murphy from North Carolina. And then Alyssa Mayer, she should be the starting goalkeeper for the U.S. Women's National Team. And then defenders, obviously Naomi Gurma, she's going to be starting. And then Alana Cook, she'll be starting. Crystal Dunn, veteran. Emily Fox, she'll probably be starting. Sophia Huerta, Kelly O'Hara, Emily Sonnet. Um, Emily Sonnet, by the way, she is on the OL Reign. Megan Rapinoe's on the OL Reign. Huerta, Lavelle. So there are multiple OL Reign players, U.S. Women's National Team players that play for OL Reign that will be playing at Snapdragon this weekend on Saturday night, facing off against, obviously, Morgan and Gurma. So there's going to be a lot of U.S. Women's National Team talent on the pitch on Saturday night. And it's not just U.S. Women's National Team. It's Kaylin Sheridan with Canada. It's um, Emily Van Eggman. She's going to be playing with Australia, I believe. And... Sophia Jakobsen, she's playing with Sweden. So it's not just U.S. Women's National Team, but they're going to get the most attention, obviously, because it's the U.S. Women's National Team. Uh, so, yeah, we went through the defenders there. Midfielder Savannah DeMello, she has not had a cap yet. She has not played in a U.S. Women's National Team match, but she's been playing extremely well with racing Louisville, so she made it. Uh, Julie Ertz, we'll see if she drops back to be a center back at some point in this tournament if they need her to. Uh, but the Wave just saw her, obviously, last weekend with Angel City, obviously losing to Angel City at home there. That was disappointing. 
hopefully bounce back win later this weekend. Um, so Ertz is on Lindsay Horan. She's probably going to be the captain now that Becky Sauerbrunn is not the captain. Um, because she's out, obviously she's the captain, but she's can't be the captain because she's not playing. Christy Mewis, Rose Lavelle, Ashley Sanchez, Andy Sullivan. There's a lot of Washington spirit representation on here. And then Morgan, obviously she's going to be starting Megan Rapino. Who's going to have a smaller reduced role compared to last year, or not last year, last World Cup? Four that was four years ago. You know, Rapino's the, the I think the oldest player on the squad, and then a lot of talent, obviously after Morgan, after Rapino, the vets, Rodman, Sophia Smith, Alyssa Thompson, Lynn Williams, Aly Alyssa Thompson. Wave Wave fans just saw her last weekend uh, at Snapdragon. She did not score, uh, but she she. She's so young, so young. What is she, 18? And she's on the World Cup roster. And she's going to play. I don't know about she, – she's not going to start. It, it's going to be Morgan, Sophia Smith, and either Rodman and Lynn Williams, I would imagine. But she'll get some playing time there, I would think, in the group stage matches, at least one of them. She's super talented. She excels one-on-one. -on -one, so she's fun to watch. She's just not fun to watch when, you know, she's playing for L.A. She's playing for Angel City. Same thing with Julie Ertz. Like, I love Julie Ertz, but she's playing with Angel City. Uh, but, yeah, this is a very talented roster. Now, they are playing without some players. They're not playing with Becky Sauerbrunn, obviously. Kat Macario, Sam Mewis, um, wave player Abby Dahlkamper, who was a defender, I believe, on last World Cup, the last World Cup uh, roster. Starter, by the way. She's not going to be there. Healthy, obviously, she's not playing for the wave even. Um, so yeah, they're missing some players. Obviously, Mal Swanson. I love watching her play when she's not playing the wave. That's she was on fire before she got hurt. So there's some I probably missed some others. There's some absences here. So it's gonna be probably the toughest test that the US women's national team has faced in a while, this World Cup, but they still have the depth, like any team that can sustain these injuries and still win with these injuries. It's the U S women's national team. And we'll see how big of a part Alex Morgan and Naomi Gurma can play on this roster. And then obviously I'll be rooting for the other wave players, as long as they're not playing the U S women's national team, because if they're playing the U S women's national team, I'm obviously all team USA, all team Alex and team Naomi Gurma. All right. Anything else in the comments here? Some of you talking about Otani. Yeah, I mean, I still want to believe that the Padres will get either Otani or Soto, but that's obviously not a guarantee. And how much do the Padres want to pay Juan Soto? Do they want to give him over $500 million? Um, Soto's going to be cheaper than Otani, I would imagine. Or maybe not, because Soto's going to wait, right? Well, he, he he's a free agent after Otani anyway. So he's probably going to sit there with Boris and be like, well, Otani got that. Well, the market continues to get better for players in terms of contracts and total money, right? So... Or if it's a short-term contract, it's much higher AAV. So 
the market keeps going up. It keeps getting more expensive. So Soto's going to sit there and want more. Do the Padres want to give that to him? Otani, I don't know if he's going to sign with the place that gives him the most money. The money's going to be there. So does he want to be with the Padres? Like We don't know that. We don't know who he wants to be with. Does Soto want to be with the Padres long-term? We don't know that either. Maybe he wants to go back to Washington and realized, yeah, that $440 million thing that I rejected wasn't the best idea. Or the Nats, well, no, the, the Nats aren't going to increase their offer. But um, maybe he goes and signs with the Dodgers if the Dodgers don't get Otani, or he signs with the Giants. I, I don't know. No idea. Maybe the Padres miss on both of those guys. That's a long ways down the road. But I hope that they land one of them. And I, I don't know if... The financial situation, right? You know, Kevin Acey writing that article a couple weeks back about the team already in debt and all that, and they can't go any higher. Um, I don't know how much of that is true, obviously, because I, I don't know sources. I don't know if it's 100% accurate. I don't know if if the team makes the playoffs and they do fine this year, are they still going to be in debt? Like, is that going to affect their Peter Seidler's uh, ability to, to go get Otani? Like, or is he going to restrict AJ from going and getting Otani or restrict AJ from signing Soto long-term? Don't know. But yeah, I agree, Devin. I don't think the Padres, as of now, I don't think the Padres are going to trade Soto. I think they're all in for the next, definitely this year. Like, they're not trading him this year. And if they don't make the postseason this year, then maybe they have that con they're pro they probably have to have that conversation about trading them to get something back if they don't think that they're gonna sign them long term or they just want to they don't want to take that chance and they'll try to sign them in free agency. Um but I still think that it's a low chance that they even trade them next year either. Like they gave up that much money or not that much money. They gave up that much prospect capital. They're gonna try to squeeze everything they can out of them. That's what it feels like. All right, that'll do it. Talking Friars episode 417. We got Padres Nats coming up this weekend. It's a must, feels like a must-win series when you're playing the Nats. I mean, come on. And there, there's still three games under 500. The Padres are. Like, come on, win this series. You're playing in front of what's probably going to be sold-out crowds. Win this series. Start playing better baseball. It has to turn around at some point if they want to be a postseason team and be taken seriously. We'll see if they can do it. They're going to be facing some old friends. I don't know if Gore scheduled the pitch. Is he scheduled the pitch? But C.J. Abrams, he's on the roster, obviously. And let's see. Is Mackenzie Gore going to pitch? Let's see. Uh, it's Musgrove and Corbin for game one. Josiah Gray, Michael Walker for game two. And yeah, Gore on Sunday. Gore and Lugo. So that's how we're looking this weekend. All right. Have a great night, everyone. Talking Friars episode 417 is done. Ben Fadden signing off. See you, everybody. Enjoy the rest of your night. Go Padres. Try to keep the faith if you can.